Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. How many of you, primarily guys, sorry ladies, can I say that anymore? Sorry? Anyway, remember racing home from the bus stop after school to get to the TV in time to watch the Transformers, and right after that, He-Man. Oh, just me? Oh, okay. Okay, well, how many of you remember pulling your imaginary or cardboard tube sword from its sheath on your back and shouting, By the power of Grayskull, I have the power! Oh, seriously? Again? Just me? (laughs) Fine, whatever. I'm still using the illustration. Anyway, when we think of power or speak of power, some of us think of a mighty river flooding through a dam or a rocket blasting off or an explosion. Others think of a boxer or a cartoon character with an unrealistic body image. Some picture a train or a sports car. And still others think of conveniences like power windows and locks, power shades. And a minority of others think of speaking truth to power or some such nonsense like that. Well, Today we're going to talk about, you guessed it, power. First we'll talk about a twin universe in a magical fairy tale land we call science. And then we'll talk about the power of government trying to take away our power to power our stuff. And then we're going to delve deep into the aforementioned nonsense of speaking truth to power. I think. I'm not really sure what that means. So we're just going to say that that's what this woke-trocity of an article is doing. So grab your equal but opposite bicycle, start pedaling so you have enough power to make it through this episode, and then complain because you broke a sweat because, now let's say this with power, here we go. Have you ever seen a small child get caught? Maybe yours, maybe someone else's, maybe on TV, maybe this was you. Let's use the old standard example. The toddler was told not to eat the cookie that was on the counter. The adult leaves for a minute, comes back in, the cookie's gone. The child's standing there. The child is asked, what happened to the cookie? What happens? Well, for most children, the lies start flowing like the clearest of water running like a river threatening to overflow its banks. He or she usually starts with something clever, like, I don't know, while the crumbs are falling off the chin. Further inquiry, if the adult decides they have time to play the game, will result in a variety of theories being presented by the child. Maybe the dog ate it. I don't remember there being a cookie. A man came in and took it. Well, if this is your child, don't worry. He or she is not a lying little sinner, as you may suspect. He or she may simply be a scientist. And not just any scientist, but the most important kind of scientist, an evolutionary scientist. From LiveScience.com, headline, Our universe may have a twin that runs backward in time. (laughs) Oh, you can see where this is going already. When the science headline has the word may in it, you know it's going to be good. So look, I'm going to try to save you from a lot, not all, but a lot of the highly technical scientific mumbo jumbo for a couple reasons. One, I don't want you to fall asleep. And two, I have no idea what they're talking about. And I highly suspect that they, meaning the author of the article, the website in general, and the scientists doing the study don't either. I'll attempt to prove my suspicion correct as we go. In short, 
the beginning of the universe presents some very complex, yet-to-be-solved problems for the evolutionary scientist. The crux of the problem is that they have no idea how it happened. The theory that's been standing for decades is the Big Bang, but if you start at the point the theory emerged and work your way to now, you'll find that the theory, over time, has decreased the size of the original spinning hot mass of matter from something about the size of our solar system to now a point so small that all the matter in the entire known and unknown universe was compressed into nothingness, then nothing exploded and created everything. They also have lengthened the amount of time it's been since the Big Bang because bigger numbers are easier to justify and hide than smaller numbers. In recent history, the Big Bang has started to fall out of favor because there are just too many problems with this theory. They can't be explained without um, basically magic. So, because of that, many other theories have been developed as to where the universe came from and how it started or how it works. Theories like parallel universes, multiverses, panspermia, that's a fun one. These are all attempting to explain what is as yet unexplainable to evolutionary scientists. One problem with the Big Bang apparently had to do with how the universe looks and a theory called inflation theory. That was developed to help describe this look. This is a theory that said that right after all the matter in the universe was compacted to nothing, it then exploded and rapidly set out for a very short period of time before spreading out at a slower rate. This inflation theory solved some of the problems, but it created others. And another problem that they have right now is that of something they call dark matter. This is a theory that says there is an unseen substance subatomic particles that exist in abundance in the universe, allegedly, and have a high gravitational force. This theory was developed because scientists couldn't explain the behavior of certain planets, galaxies, etc., so they made up something to solve the problem. But they only moved the problem to dark matter because we can't actually prove that that exists. Well, this new theory of a twin backward universe will help to eliminate those other two theories and the problems that they have. So great, problem solved, right? Now, let's dig a little deeper into this article first, shall we? Now, this is where I'm going to try to pick up the pace just a little bit. Apparently, physicists have found three things that are fundamental to nature. And if all three of these things were perfectly reversed at the same time, we'd never notice. There's a particle charge, think electrons having a negative charge and all of those change to positrons, which have a positive charge. There's something called parity. So think of looking in a mirror to get the same image, just perfectly reversed. And then there's time. Rather than going forward in time as we perceive ourselves, you know, to be doing now, we would be going backward in time. This is called CPT theory. So if those three were reversed perfectly, we would have an exact copy of what we have now, just inverse. But if we were part of that exact duplicate, we'd never know it. It would seem to be the same thing that we've got right now. Huh. 
The theory I've just described is really constrained to the atomic level and states that we must have symmetry. So a CPT relation that exists must have an equal and opposite CPT relation that also exists. Very rarely, although apparently it's possible, has only one or two of that relationship reversed without the rest of it also reversing. So nearly always all three are reversed in a relationship. <sighs> Hang in there. And now these alleged scientists have proposed that this theory could be extended much larger. In a paper submitted and accepted by the journal Annals of, Phys I'm sorry, <laughs> Annals of Physics, they basically proposed that this reversal, the exact but mirror image copy, could exist on the universal level. So essentially, at the point of the Big Bang, our universe went one direction with relation to charge, parity, and time, and another exact duplicate universe was created with the opposite charge, parity, and time. Okay, all making perfect sense, right? <laughs> yeah, me neither. Okay, by accepting this theory, it solves problems that science can't currently solve, like the existence of dark matter, as, as it would just be the matter that exists in the other universe. The problems created by inflation theory, as, as apparently this theory would no longer be needed, and the existence of a particle called a neutrino, which apparently has never had an opposite found in anything our scientists have done, they say that... The opposite must exist over there. Okay, that's as deep as I want to get because my brain is threatening to invert and become an anti-brain, and I don't know what the ramifications of that is, nor do I want to find out. You can read the article for yourself if, if you really want to, but what I wanted to point out here is the non-science that's rampant throughout the article. Here are some of the brain busters that are being passed off as science. First, a short list of qualifiers. A new theory suggests... There may be. The idea assumes. If true, the theory implies. Perhaps if. <laughs> so that's the entire setup to the conclusions of what this theory, if proven true, would reveal. They also have some gems like, if we extend the concept of CPT symmetry to our entire cosmos, then our view of the universe can't be the entire picture. Instead, there must be more. Huh, uh-huh. They also said, while there's a lot of evidence that an event like inflation occurred, the theoretical picture of the event is incredibly fuzzy. It's so fuzzy that there is plenty of room for proposals of viable alternatives. Oh, so see, inflation seems right, except that it doesn't. And if they can get rid of it and the problems it introduces, even better. They just don't want to leave any room for questioning their theories. They also say that strangely, all three of these neutrinos are left-handed, referring to the direction of its spin. All other particles known to physics have both left and right-handed varieties, so physicists have long wondered if there are additional right-handed neutrinos. A CPT-respecting universe would demand the existence of at least one right-handed neutrino species. This species would be largely invisible to physics experiments, only ever influencing the rest of the universe through gravity. So it can't be tested, and that's science. Huh. They also said we would never have access to our twin, the CPT mirror universe, because it exists 
behind our Big Bang, before the beginning of our cosmos. But that doesn't mean we can't test this idea. <laughs> no, actually, it does mean you can't test it. This is like saying, I don't have a horse, but that doesn't mean I can't ride him. I know their theory would predict certain things, but we're looking at a chicken and egg type of scientific process. They know that weird gravitational forces exist, so they call that dark matter. And now with this theory, they can prove where dark matter actually resides. Are we doing science or are we trying to defend a hypothesis by, you know, making stuff up? Speaking of predictions, they predict that based on the three known neutrino species, their counterpart must be of the same species. As of now, this is a quote, as of now, physicists aren't sure if neutrinos have this property or not. Okay, so they don't know if it's like that. But if it is, it must be like that. Okay, we got that. They also predict that one of the neutrino species must be massless. As of now, they only know that neutrinos have an upper limit of mass. So, quote, if physicists can ever conclusively measure the neutrino masses, and one of them is indeed massless, that would greatly bolster the idea of a CPT symmetric universe. So they start with if, imply a second if, say that they're going to measure something that can't be measured, and then conclude that it would greatly bolster the idea. Not prove it, just make it seem more plausible. So they don't understand what a neutrino is or what it does, but they're making predictions based on it. They wrap up this article kind of oddly, moving back to this inflation theory, which is apparently on pretty shaky evolutionary footing. They say that the current belief by physicists is that due to the rapid onset of inflation right after the Big Bang, there would be a massive amount of gravitational waves in the universe. Problem is they can't find them. So instead of concluding that maybe their Big Bang theory is a dud, they say that if they can't find any of these waves, it might imply that the CPT mirror or twin universe theory is right. So let me break this down. If there are gravitational waves, Big Bang evolution resulting in our universe. If there aren't waves, Big Bang evolution resulting in two equal but opposite universes. <laughs> Got it. The problem is, as I've pointed out before, is that their theory already has an unprovable conclusion baked in, namely evolution. And by doing that, they leave the realm of actual science. It just amazes me the lengths man will go to, to eliminate a higher power, a god, and especially specifically the god. This article has very little factual information in it, very little provable, testable, and verifiable scientific information. About one-third of the article is complete speculation, hypothesizing, theorizing, and basically middle school daydreaming. But they pack around those wording that sounds like scientific fact. This, I've found, is one of the most common things that these scientific articles do. They present fairy tales and then use the fairy tale to conclude facts. But the entire thing is a house of cards, and the bottom row is on fire. Now, personally, I have no problem with the theory of evolution. I say, good, investigate all of these theories, but do it honestly. Where evidence suggests you have a stupid theory, either modify the theory or dump it all together. 
having unprovable, untestable, unverifiable theories upon theories upon theories all the way down is nothing but a children's bedtime story. As I'm sure I've said before, when you discount outright the theory of a higher power, and further when you discount outright the theory of biblical creation, you're not doing science. Why do neutrinos not have a counter-rotating element? Maybe because God set it up to point physicists back to him, since naturalistic theories can't explain that. Why do they need to have dark matter? Well, because scientists a few decades ago determined that some galaxies were spinning around a center point to each other faster than they should, based on their predictions, based on their humanistic theories. So they needed a gravitational force at that point to hold them together and induce the spin. But nothing was there. So voila dark matter. Maybe they're doing what they're doing because God spun those faster to begin with, with the density of the systems, and they just haven't wound down as much yet. Hmm? The theory of inflation is needed because physicists have no idea how the universe looks the way it does simply using the Big Bang. So, like the entire theory, they actually have to turn off all laws of physics to enable the Big Bang, and then to have the inflation. But what if, quote, and God created the stars also, was the inflation? He just put them there. Could that possibly explain the order of the system? Wouldn't it be amazing if by simply analyzing what we can see and test, we could see the evidence point back to God? Maybe science should test a theory like... The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. And I'll let you continue reading in Psalm 19. What these alleged scientists have done is develop speech, created words, where no voice was heard. They fabricated out of whole cloth unprovable, untestable, and frankly nonsensical theories in an attempt to not only ignore what the creation is saying, but to shout loud enough to drown out the truth for any that will listen. I, for one, love science. And because of that, I will, for as long as this podcast runs, and as long as I'm given breath, decry the foolishness of man futilely attempting to ignore and explain away a God that sustains and upholds even them by the word of his power. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. You know that feeling where you just have something so good, so tasty, that you just can't wait to tell someone? Well, I'm the proud owner of a tasty little nugget, and you are the someone. Now, keep in mind, I'm a nerd, so this may not tickle you like it did me, but but who knows? Here we go. So I came across another climate emergency type of article from the Canadian press via MSN headline, Lake Powell hits historic low, raising hydropower concerns. Now, just briefly, the Lake Powell Reservoir is part of a system of lakes and reservoirs that were formed when the government dammed the Colorado River at Glen Canyon. This dam and three others from the Colorado River Storage Project among other things, provide hydroelectric power to customers in Arizona, Colorado, Nebraska, New Mexico, Utah, and Wyoming. As of Wednesday, March 16th, Lake Powell specifically has fallen to the lowest level since its creation over 50 years ago. And this just proves the devastating impact of your dirty, filthy, climate-changing cars. Or as they said in the article, it's, quote, yet another sobering realization of the impacts of climate change and mega drought. 
Now, they believe this will be temporary, as the spring thaw brings water runoff down from the mountains, you know, like every year. But we all know that the planet is getting hotter, and, and it's not supposed to do that. Because science, and, and also more importantly, because convenience. And we don't actually know what the steady state temperature of this planet is supposed to be if we were theoretically even able to allow the cool-to-warm-to-cool-to-warm to cool to warm oscillations enough time to settle down to a single value. But what we do know is that we're used to it being this temperature and will be dipped if nature or industry, science, technology, physics, or God himself will stop us from keeping it right at the exact temperature we want. I've covered various aspects of climate and creation, the global flood, the ice age, etc., etc., in some of the past episodes. So obviously you've heard this before, and if you haven't, I mean, what are you doing? You know, go back and listen to the past episodes. It, but let me <laughs> let me warn you, the first few, oh, oh, they've got good info, but oh, my delivery is not great. And if you're thinking that my delivery is not great right now, well, that's hurtful and you should probably just stop that. Anyway, I'm not going to cover all of that again here. What I want to do is tie a few different stories together. I heard this gem today with President is pushed to have 50% of all cars sold in the U.S. to be electric by 2030. The story emerged this week that authorities in California have asked that people not plug in their electric cars to charge them. Well, let me tell you, that rumor would not stand. The AP jumped right on that little lie and quashed it real quick-like. Headline, Posts mislead on California electric car charging. Hmm, mislead. So the claim is that California asked, somehow the state so felt the pain that it did the asking by itself. Not people, just California. But I digress. California asked residents to avoid charging electric cars amid power grid strain. Well, sir, that is... And not exactly a lie. It's just an old, old, old request that was not made in March of 2022. No, it was made in June of 2021, you know, during a, a heat wave when electricity was being taxed and the grid was in jeopardy. Now, this actually came from a flex alert asking residents to conserve power during certain peak hours, you know, so as to not burn the system to the ground. That's my words, not theirs. They didn't say you couldn't charge a vehicle. They just asked that everyone do it on off-peak hours, as well as pre-cooling your home and charging other devices during the off-peak hours, which just begs the question, aren't you just shifting the peak hours by doing this? It doesn't matter. Not important. So I went back in time to 2021, and the claim is that Newsweek was the outlet that started this Vicious rumor with their story entitled, California Asks Residents to Avoid Charging Electric Cars Amid Power Grid Strain. Okay, well, maybe power grid strain is a bit ambiguous, but I'd assume that Newsmax thought we might actually delve all the way into the second paragraph, which <laughs> incidentally is the second sentence of the article, to find out that the Epic Times reported this and was clear that it was during peak hours. 
but we don't like to go past the headline, do we? And if you search through 2021 articles, you'll find a variety of articles both mocking California, quite rightly I may add, for this flex alert, and those debunking the other articles, with Snopes giving the claim a rating of mixture. So yes, they asked people to stop charging their cars, but no, it wasn't entirely. It was only during peak hours amid the heat wave. Additionally, I found one article from August 2020 from The Verge headline, Tesla owners in California asked to reduce charging because of a heat wave. Now, I only went two paragraphs deep into this article because, as we know, everything else after that is nothing but fluff. But it sounds like Tesla sent out the alert to the owners themselves via in-car notices to try to avoid charging or supercharging during peak hours to try to alleviate the strain on the grid. I don't know if Tesla was asked to do this, but it was not a government-type alert or, or a state, a state crying out for help. Okay, now, here's what I want you to piece together. And you might have already done this if your mind works like mine does, and if it does, <laughs> I'm so sorry, there is no cure. We are living in a world that's allegedly getting hotter, at the same time, we're being told to get off of fossil fuel-driven appliances, fossil fuel-driven cars, go all electric. Everything should be electric, because electricity doesn't cause even a speck of emissions. As we all know, guilt-free electrons are just waiting in your walls for you to use them. At the same time, we're wanting to shut down oil production. We want to shut down nuclear facilities. We want to shut down coal and gas power generation plants and go all sustainable, mainly wind, solar, and hydroelectric. But the droughts are allegedly, potentially, compromising our hydroelectric generation capability. So, and, and here's where I get to the meat of this one, I wanted to see what we're doing to ourselves. Per the NEI, the Nuclear Energy Institute, a nuclear power generation plant, which is literally clean, emission-free energy, it needs about 1.3 square miles of land to house a plant that generates 1,000 megawatts of electricity. Additionally, nuclear power plants are about 90% efficient, meaning they make on average about 90% of their rated capacity. This is essentially comparing a perfectly running plant with no downtime for anything versus the actual output of the plant. I'd call this the plant reliability or the plant uptime. On average, they output 90% of their rating. Okay. What about wind? Well, wind farms have an uptime of 32 to 47%. That's much, much worse. This means in order to output the same amount of energy a 1,000 megawatt nuclear plant does, you need to build a wind farm with a rating of 1,900 to 2,800 megawatts because of how inefficient they are. And you can't fit a wind farm in the same footprint of a nuclear power plant, so you need more land as well. When you calculate it all up, you'd need between 260 and 360 square miles of land filled solid with wind turbines to equal the output of a 1.3 square mile nuclear facility. <laughs> but wait, it gets better. Let me introduce you to solar. Solar runs at about 17 to 28% efficiency, so you'd have to have a solar farm rated at 3,300 to 5,400 megawatts. Luckily, they're smaller and you can pack more of them onto the land, so you'd only need, you know, 45 to 75 square miles to equal the output of one 1.3 square mile nuclear plant. Now, I found a few figures from 2012, and for this illustration, I'm not going to dig any further. New York City in 2012 used 11,000 megawatt hours of electricity. 
11,000 megawatts every hour. Now, if I understand my numbers correctly, looking at the worst efficiency is you need to plan for the worst case, in order to get this output out of solar, you would need a solar farm of 882 square miles, or a wind farm of 4,704 square miles just to power New York City. Just for comparison, based on the square miles, you'd need nearly the entire state of Rhode Island covered in solar panels, or nearly the entire state of Connecticut covered in wind turbines to power NYC. Let that sink in. Pretty sure I did the calculation right. If I didn't, feel free to comment with the correction in the comments. I'm not a sparky, I'm a knuckle-dragger, so that's my excuse. Okay, so all the fact-checkers, both this month and in 2021, were all up in arms that California did not say you couldn't charge your cars, just to not do it during peak hours amid a heat wave because those were taxing the grid. But let me point this out. In 2017, there were about 200,000 plug-in or plug-in hybrids sold in the U.S., in 2018, that jumped to about 360,000, then it dropped slightly to 330,000 in 2019, dropped again to 320,000 in 2020, but the total number of electric cars is steadily growing, and I have no problem with that. If you want an electric car, buy it. But in 2020 and 2021, what were people doing? It seems like there was something going on. Oh, right. They weren't driving. At least, nowhere near as much. People were locked down, especially in California. People were staying home. And yes, the residential power demand probably shot up. But think of all the office buildings that were sitting idle. All of the malls, the restaurants, the convention centers, the concert halls, the stadiums. These were not being utilized. The commercial electric load had to have plummeted over those two years. And yet the grid was on the edge during a heat wave. What's going to happen as we return to normal, as car manufacturers shift production to 50% electric cars by 2030, only, only seven and a half years away, by the way, and more and more consumers are purchasing and charging them? What's going to happen when all of these alleged charging stations that our illustrious leaders are promising us are installed and used? What's going to happen as we continue to demonize fossil fuel and nuclear power generation more and more and continue pushing renewables like wind, solar, and hydro that aren't anywhere near as efficient in generation or in footprint? What happens when we have rolling brownouts, rolling blackouts, where we have hospitals going dark, street lights, house lights failing, electrically powered doors either to keep them locked or to unlock them with no power to trigger them, or streets lined with four-wheeled dead batteries. The problem does not lie with power generation or electric cars. The problem lies with a government that believes they are the god of the universe, that they alone can rescue us from ourselves, that if it wasn't for them, We'd all wander around aimlessly with no idea what to do. Kind of like when Joe Biden was trying to find the door to the White House. The problem lies with the attempt to force technologies that aren't ready to be used in a large scale. Because of faulty analysis, of bad data, all built on the premise that there is no God, or if there is, he's just a bumbling old fool 
who has no idea what to do now as we've just really screwed up his plan. As I've said before, God is sovereign. He literally already mapped all of this out. We have oil and natural gas because it was his plan. We have cars and factories because he gave them to us. We have nuclear energy because he created the radioactive materials for us to find and use. If we follow the command of God to tend the earth, take care of it, but subdue it, use it, fill it up. If we took God at his word, we wouldn't be staring down the barrel of a gun loaded with an electricity crisis that none of us in the U.S. has ever seen before. So what's going to happen? I have no idea. But I do know that God is sovereign over even this. If his will is for us to regress back to the days of candles, horses, waking with the dawn, retiring with the sunset, then so be it. But from a human perspective, it sure would be nice for these leftists and Marxists and greenies to give us a real, legitimate, comprehensive, long-term plan. Eh, that's never going to happen. Anyway, I just thought the absolute illogical nature of our current system was so displayed so perfectly in this, I just had to share. And personally, I think I'll keep my hope and faith and trust in God, not the alleged best and brightest among us that are, are somehow in charge. Have you seen the bike fall meme? It starts with a person riding a bicycle, and he's got a stick in his hand. Next panel shows him still riding, but he's leaning way over and putting the stick into the spokes of the front wheel. The third panel is him lying on the ground, the bicycle crashed behind him, and he's holding his knee in pain. The point is to use the meme to put text about how you sabotage yourself. For example, pain one, my diet is going well. Pain two, I stop at Krispy Kreme. Pain three, me complaining that my diet doesn't work. You know, that sort of a thing. I feel like this is what we're doing with, um, well, pretty much everything, to be honest. We know what to do. We sabotage ourselves by doing something stupid, something we know won't work, and then we complain that the system is rigged and we need it to change, because it definitely wasn't our fault. Found on the Business Insider, headline, America's obsession with being productive is hurting mental health. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Any questions? Can you see why I'm covering this article? Well, let's summarize the wisdom that's being imparted to us this very day, shall we? <sighs> I'm going to level with you on this one. This is going to be a little painful. If you want to stop and get maybe a cold compress for your head... Maybe a box of Krispy Kremes. <laughs> sure would like some Krispy Kremes. Just, just go ahead and do that right now. I'll wait. So, so this article starts by citing a 1.8 million viewed TikTok video <laughs> from September of 2021. This video has, at the time I'm recording this, over 450,000 likes, which... Okay, whatever. It's 49 seconds long, and I'm gonna scalp the audio from it and play it now. Like many young adults, I used to want an enjoyable and meaningful life. It is until I discovered capitalism. Now, I live in a society where my productivity matters more than my well-being, and so I'm just depressed and anxious all the time. I'm smiling, but I'm deeply wounded. <laughs> I work three jobs and I still feel like I'm not doing enough. Crazy, right? 
unfortunately, capitalism is not free 99. But you know what's free 99? Federal income taxes for billionaires. Escandalo. If you subscribe to capitalism today, you can also get emotional exhaustion, inequality, and if you're lucky, feeling dead inside. Oops. And don't forget climate change. So what are you waiting for? Work harder to make sure the rich gets richer and start subscribing to capitalism today. All right, that's wonderful. How many donuts did you eat in those 49 seconds? Or, or how many did you want to eat? The reality is that anti-capitalism, anti-American sentiment has turned into a movement and is growing by leaps and bounds. This sweet little fella is just an example of a much greater issue. The article states the pandemic and the lockdowns, etc., has made people, especially of the TikTok generations, you know who you are, get off my lawn! <clears throat> it's made them rethink everything. What are their goals in life? Why must we have goals in life? Why do we have to pursue goals and accomplishments at all? The article quotes Jeff Gunther, a therapist and fellow talk ticker who looks to be maybe a touch younger than me and much, much more homeless, as saying that, quote, when you live in a capitalist society, no matter what you do, it's never enough. Under capitalism, you derive value by doing something, not just by being human. Huh. Uh, we'll come back to that in a few minutes, my little transient-appearing friend. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, man, at least I hope I know what you're thinking. But before you poo-poo Dr. Gunter like his ilk in San Francisco, the World Health Organization, you know, the very trustworthy WHO, has something to add. All the way back in 2019, they identified burnout as a medical syndrome. Hmm. Additionally, people the world over are pushing for a four-day work week, and they'd love to be able to just work that strenuous four days every week from the comfort of their home if they so choose. The article also says that this is evidenced by millions of people quitting their jobs post-pandemic. We'll also come back to that in just a few minutes. But now, people might feel bad. And this is the point of the article. People that quit might be feeling bad because, as our friendly underbridge dwelling therapist states, quote, that feeling of guilt and not being good enough is going to pop up whenever you prioritize your well-being over work. Aaron Check. I'm assuming, a sociologist at the University of Michigan apparently agrees. She said that people are working out of a sense of need for fulfillment rather than to make money to live. So the Business Insider then clues us in on where this horrible idea of being a productive hard worker comes from. Quote, it has roots in the Protestant ethic in which hard work is a sign of good character. Oh, those monsters. They should be burned at the stake for their evil ways. In fact, Max Weber, a German sociologist from 1905, said that the problem goes back to the first major settlers of America and their Calvinist ways. <laughs> Shocking. They then note that this theory has been much debated, quote, but research has shown it has legs. Oh, well, if a contested unprovable theory from 1905 has legs, well, I mean, that's... That's actually kind of creepy. 
But to be honest, I'm not sure why any of us Protestants should be upset that we're the cause of a good work ethic. That almost seems like it should be a good thing. <laughs> almost. Apparently, surveys are finding that a substantial but not majority percentage of millennials and Gen Zers are picking jobs or careers that fit their passions rather than just going for the big bucks, to which I say, okay. But shockingly, at least to the Business Insider, a massive 95%, you're never going to believe this, 95% of American teens told Pew Research in 2018 that it was either extremely or very important for them to have a job or career oh, oh, that they enjoyed. Oh, oh, the humanity. Apparently, this is, this is a bad thing? I, I, I don't know. Tying a sense of meaning to your career toward working hard and excelling in your chosen profession is apparently a bad thing. I mean, this, this is what they're saying. Well, our alleged therapist and our sociologist friends, as well as new work ethic detractor, professor of business psychology at Columbia University, Thomas, or Tomas, Chamorro Premusic, believe that people are actually feeling a sense that they should better themselves, that they should strive to be more accomplished, that they even feel in somewhat of a competition to outpace the next guy, climb the socioeconomic ladder, as it were. And again, this is apparently a bad thing to feel. Professor Chamorro Premusic says that there is a trade-off. If you work long hours to get more money, you might be making personal sacrifices. That we've, we've worked to live rather than live to work in the past. Quote, but now that competition for talent, including workers' loyalty, is fierce, the top employers are willing to pay a lot if people devote their lives to their job or careers. And I'd say, yeah, that sounds about right. What's, what's your point? Business Insider then wraps up with some real brain busters, some revelations that will just make your head go... Capitalism relies on productivity. Capitalism has created a system that's caused economic growth, more jobs, consumer choice, and innovation. Capitalism is designed to reward hard work, quote, with paychecks going to those who provide value and profits to leaders who run the most efficient businesses. Capitalism relies on consumer spending, which in turn supports businesses and workers' pay. And yes, it does those things, but this apparently isn't good either because, quote, it leaves behind people who aren't seen as productive enough. But now people have discovered that dedicating more time to family and hobbies, things that bring us happiness, is more important than work. And apparently that's a good thing and should be what I guess we should all do. So, all right, what do we do with this? Uh, other than just print it out, ball it up, and throw it into a burning trash heap. Let me start here. Hilary Hoffauer, the author of this article, had to work to produce this article. And I bet she did it for money. And when you click on her name to check her out, it appears she's putting out an article about every other day. Huh. Now, I don't know 
about Professor Lives in a Box, but the sociologist and professor of business psychology, I would wager, had to work hard to get their degrees. Our TikTok friend at the beginning sure didn't mind using TikTok on his recording equipment of choice to whine about how terrible capitalism is. See, the problem, at least the surface problem with these types of people, these liberal hippie or Marxist capitalist-hating woke wannabes who just believe the system is evil, is that they are actually the system. If they haven't participated in the system, I mean, how much does our professor make for his professoring every year, and, and how much does his college, Columbia University, charge the students in order to attend? If they haven't participated in it, then they've benefited from the system. In fact, every time they get into their car, turn on their TV, check their phone, grab a Starbucks, or walk down a paved sidewalk pressing the button at the corner until the little man in the box says, walk. They're benefiting from capitalism. In fact, I know our talk boy at the beginning said that capitalism causes global warming. Well, without opening that can of worms, let's take that for granted. And yes, industry, development, all of that does use energy to run and make and do. But capitalism is also the system that's allowed us to create systems to capture carbon, to clean emissions, to produce clean, renewable energy, as pointless and virtually useless as that is. Bottom line, if we took capitalism away from them, they'd be like the guy in the meme riding his electric-powered bike, listening to his Bluetooth wireless earbuds, sipping a grande vente lata frappo whippino, I don't know, I hate Starbucks, and then he inserts Marxism into the wheel, and now he's on the side of the road crying about how capitalism has ruined his life. We have gobs not to get too overly technical on you, of people that believe this, and not just for the United States or the West, but for the entire world, that's a terrifying thought. The article mentioned that millions of people are leaving jobs to pursue happiness, or, or whatever it said, I don't know, post-pandemic. I won't go through this article, but the link is in the notes from NPR, an article discussing this apparent exodus from work. This article's from June of 2021, so bear in mind that, that this was as the pandemic, such as it was, was dying down, and people thought that we finally beat a virus, so they were reevaluating their lives of freedom going forward. Now, they go through a bunch of personal, individual, anecdotal stories, you know, for emotional manipulation purposes, and speculate as to why people are leaving jobs. They kind of gloss over, although they, they mention that people are leaving jobs for other jobs, closer, better pay, better conditions. So not really quitting the workforce, moving to a better fit for them because the opportunities are out there right now. They also fail to mention that various government programs that were and are paying a massive number of people to essentially stay home existed. That might have something to do with it as well, methinks. So that's that. You shouldn't work to better yourself or your socioeconomic status. You shouldn't work just to get paid. You shouldn't ever not like your job. You apparently shouldn't follow your passion if that means working a job. What we need is to burn capitalism to the ground. Businesses need to stop making profits and stop forcing workers to do their jobs just so that they can get a paycheck so they can live. We need to stop with the idea that we like and use and do stuff. We should all just do what makes us happy, and that alone will be enough. One might ask where you'll live and how you'll eat, what form of heat or cooling you might be able to use, etc. But that's just the damaged capitalist you talking. You need to let that go, man. You gotta let that go. The reality is that capitalism 
isn't the best system. But God hasn't come back yet to set up his eternal theocratic reign, so it's literally the best system ever devised by humans, at least to date. True, our capitalism is off the rails, we have crony capitalism in many areas, and it would be nice to see that fixed, but that's not necessarily the fault of capitalism, it's the fault of the government systems either put in place or ignored, allowing sinful humans to do sinful things. However, if it wasn't for capitalism, we would have worldwide abject poverty, mass starvation, filthy air, filthy water, shorter lifespans, worse health, lack of medicines, and on and on and on it goes. From a human perspective, there has never been a better system, a system that's done more good for the world than capitalism, and that's the cold hard truth. All that being said, capitalism itself is not the problem. Free time isn't the problem. Mental health isn't the problem. Government, competition, hard work, those aren't the problems. Marxism isn't even the problem. The problem is sin. I will keep pointing this out even though I've pointed it out many times before. The failure to follow the system laid out by God is the problem. Throughout the videos, through these articles, the quotes by the professors, it all comes down to emotion and feeling, and those things are fine, but not when you let them run unabated. We are to exercise self-control, even over our supercharged emotions. The solution to all these problems is found in the Bible, in God's Word. Let's start first with productivity, shall we? The Bible has a few things to say about this topic, so it's well worth taking a look. When it comes to practical life advice, we all run to Proverbs. <laughs> so I figure why buck the trend? Let's start there. Nothing like some pithy sayings, right? Proverbs 13.4 The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Proverbs 24 The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold, Therefore shall he beg in harvest, and have nothing. Proverbs 26.16 And this, this one should kind of sound familiar. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. <laughs> Sounds like some of those people we've been talking about, doesn't it? Moving to the words of Jesus, as I believe, you know, they carry some weight, Right? In Matthew 25, in the parable of the talents, also found in Luke 19, Jesus has been imparting a lot of information to the disciples, and he's now discussing what is the kingdom of heaven like. In this parable, the master who was going on a journey had three servants. He gave one five talents, which is about 20 years wage for a laborer, a, a talent is. One he gave two talents, and the last he gave one talent. While he was gone, the servant with the five doubled it to ten, the servant with the two doubled his to four, the servant with the one did nothing but hide it away. When the master returned, the first two servants brought him what they had done, and he blessed them. Since they were faithful with a little, he would put them in charge of much. The last servant came and simply made excuses, in fact, blaming his perception of who his master was as to why he did nothing but just protect the one talent he was given. The master responded with, quote, you wicked and slothful servant. And after excoriating him for his laziness, what he had was taken from him and he was cast out as a worthless servant. 
Now finally, moving into Paul's second letter to the church at Thessalonica, as the John MacArthur Study Bible says in the notes to this letter, Paul was essentially addressing three main topics to the church. One, discouragement in the church due to persecution. Two, deception that had crept into the church leading to confusion. And three, disobedience to divine commands, especially a refusal by them to work. Starting in chapter 3, verse 6, we read, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Paul was very clear. Even when he and others came there, they didn't expect handouts. They didn't beg. They didn't expect to be given royal treatment. They worked. They applied their skills and crafts in order to earn their wages so they would not be a burden and so that they would lead by example. The oft-used phrase is, if you don't work, you don't eat. No matter if we're talking about human laziness, as cautioned against in Proverbs, or human idleness with an expectation of being taken care of, showing the lost world a poor example of a Christian, like Paul was correcting, or we sit back and figure other people will carry the load to tell the lost world about Christ and his offer of salvation, you know, we've got ours, we're fine, like what Jesus was talking about. No matter the situation, we are to be busy, diligent, and hard workers. And work is not a result of a sinful world. There was work in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And we should have every expectation that there will be jobs for all Christians to do in the new heavens and the new earth. The only difference is that the curse that has been placed on work due to sin will be removed. Genesis 3 tells us of this curse. God speaking to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." The solution to mental health, the emotional damage that's apparently being done by working hard and having high expectations, bettering yourself, providing for yourself and your family, is not found in quitting your job, living on handouts by the government or others. It's to bring your mind into alignment with Christ. If you're saved, working hard at whatever you do should be your goal. As Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do... Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You aren't working for the man. You aren't trying to impress your boss. You aren't striving for wealth and status. You're working for God. If you, if I, focus whatever we do from cleaning toilets to designing rockets, from digging up bones to dumping trash, no matter what we do, if we understand that the job we have 
is the most important job because it's one that we're doing for God, how would that change our perspective? Next time you get bogged down at work, think about this. You're doing this for God. Look what he's done for you. Let's strive for excellence, not only working to bring glory to God by your work, but also bringing glory to God by being an example of who a Christian is in this world. We're called to be different. Let's show this by even our work ethic. Our disheveled therapist said that in a capitalist society, our value as people comes from doing something, not just being human. Yeah, he's sort of right. In our current world, he. He's sort of right. Our value as humans, however, is derived from the fact that we are image bearers of God. Some of us are children of God. Most are not. But we are all image bearers of God. And that's what gives us value as humans. The fact that we do things and we do them well, that, that's not for us. That's done to bring glory to God. Sometimes we're rewarded for this by our employer. But that shouldn't be our main goal. Glorifying God with every part of us, that's our goal. The lost world is grasping for whatever can make them happy. They are depressed, anxious, burnt out, as the WHO says, striving for excellence with no purpose. Bill Nye, when asked by Ken Ham if when you die you're done, why bother? Why bother with anything? Nye replied to pass it on to the next generation. If our sole purpose in life is to glorify the next generation... If we want to gather wealth so our children can be wealthy, and that's it, it's all vanity and pointlessness. If we're working to glorify God with all that we are, and we happen to gather wealth, and we're able to bless our children with it, it should all be done because we love God. And if we're working to glorify God and we aren't blessed with great wealth, it should all be done because we love God. That's our purpose to bring glory to God in everything we do. And there is no purpose any higher than that. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com or increasingly I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.